Good morning. I'm Tiffany Anton from the Biz Foundry, and I have Christy Vicinto in Hello. today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. So you are the owner of Thunderhawk Canine. Correct. I own the business with my husband. Which yeah. is? Thunderhawk Canine. We are a full-service training facility. Um, we started up about 2006, I think, is when my husband bought the property. I moved here in 2008, and we offer group obedience classes. We offer private training, a comprehensive inboard program, which is where the dogs actually stay with us, and we do the training, and then we just teach people how to use it. Um, a bunch of different sports and then we try to do a bunch of community-based events and things so i um i assume it's all dogs pretty much all dogs yeah we certainly don't have any um i had a cat that maybe i could have gone through some training. <laughs> well and i'll be honest my early foundation training was is is animal behavior not uh-huh. just dog behavior and i started my work in the clinical setting out of a veterinary hospital so i did a ton of cat stuff and just, they are crazy yeah they can be <laughs> at yeah. least um maybe not crazy but definitely yeah different um, i had a vet tell me uh i was telling some things about my cat and the vet said uh that that cat seems crazy in the head. I was like, uh-huh. He yep, seems crazy in the head. That's yep. awesome. Yeah, so. um, it, it's funny because when, when COVID happened, we had just launched a virtual platform. And for whatever reason, people at home with their cats, that created a whole new dynamic in addition to the dynamic people were dealing with with their dogs. So I ended up doing a lot more cat behavior. Yeah. Um, and I still see clients for it or at least talk to clients virtually for I'm that sure, too. Yeah. So what, so, so you mentioned that you had a clinical setting. You, you are, have a vet certification or? Uh, no. So my background, literally animals go back to, I think, as long as I've been alive. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was a veterinarian. We grew up in his practice. Um, he ended up having a stroke when I was like six or seven and my parents took over the practice. So I remember Easter egg hunts on Easter morning because we had hospitalized patients like in the exam rooms and in <laughs> back in the kennels. It's just always been a part of who I was. Yeah. Um, then I went through obviously all the different stages of, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a police officer. Um, I want to be a restaurant manager. Um, and then I did want to be a veterinarian as I was going through college. So I was fortunate to land a job at an amazing veterinary hospital in Michigan. And it's also an adjunct teaching facility for Michigan State University College of Veterinary Medicine. And while I was there, I realized I didn't want to be a veterinarian, Mm -hmm. that um, behavior was my focus. And so my degree is actually zoology with an animal behavior and neurobiology um, concentration. And then people like thinking this is like. Who who cares how, what the behavior of animals? You're never going to get a job. You're never going to make money. That's such a you know. Um, not in the industry actually, and the the. Well, pra- I mean, like your surround your oh, people, my community, <laughs> oh, like my family and stuff like that. They were just like, oh, that's her. Um, <laughs> truthfully, I went from veterinary medicine to raptor biology, the study of birds of prey, and at nineteen, no, eighteen, I went to a huge conference on bird of prey. Um, uh, behavior and, and uh, research, excuse me, that's what I'm trying to think of. It's called Humana, Hawk Migration Association of North America. And I was like one of four women at this big conference. I'm 18 years old, so I'm literally the only one in that demographic. And still, my whole family was like, ah, oh, that's Christy. Yeah. But my mentor there, this guy that I, I think I had a huge crush on, he was working um, nights and weekends at a grocery store stocking shelves because you 
just there's no money in research. Mm -hmm. And so then I was like, well, I really love behavior. And it kind of all fell fell into play. Yeah. So when I graduated, the owner of the practice, he arranged for me to do a bunch of um, continuing education in clinical behavior. And now it's a huge part of the veterinary industry. But this was 1998 when I graduated. Gosh. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just a so couple years ago, I think. I, literally February will be 25 years since I started the dog training industry. Yeah. Which is crazy. And there were just a very few number of actual board certified clinical behavioralists, which are veterinarians that have specialized in behavior. It was just very new. And so me having a degree and working out of a veterinary hospital and having this higher level of continuing education, which surpassed most of the veterinary community, it created like a little niche for me up there. Mm -hmm. And it was great. I lectured you know, two veterinarians. I did in-services and practices. We developed our own behavior programs within our practice and, and it just kind of grew. But then, so that was 98. So in 2006, that's when I met Matt, um, who's my now husband and uh, moved down here in 2008. So Yeah. And so did you think in, in that early years, you know, post-college, did you think I want to own my own business and do my own thing? And, or I'm just kind of, I'm okay just kind of helping train others? That's a great question. And I don't know if I thought much beyond what I was doing right at that moment. Like I didn't have a big vision for where my life was going to go. I I had my own kind of training business, but I was also well affiliated within the veterinary hospital. And I was working, you know, on commission, acting as a veterinary assistant and an assistant in their equine area too. So I worked with a bunch of horses and then doing the behavior on the side. So I was working 40 to 60 hours a week and just focused on gaining respect, honestly, mm -hmm. in, in the community. Um, it wasn't until I, I moved here that I was like, oh my gosh, we, we, own this like we can do whatever we want here what do you think it is so i'm uh, i'm not originally from this area either um and there's something magical about the business small business community here what do you think that is that you know you never had those aspirations before coming here and then you're here and okay we're gonna build this business and and we can do this it's a good point i i wonder if a lot of it just has to do with that the part of this area that's so like we are self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. You know, we we do not need to depend on X, Y, and Z to survive, to grow. I find that to be, you know, a toughness mentality in a, a lot of people that have grown up here and and very much don't tread on me, you know, don't yeah. don't tell me what to do. And so maybe that that supports this idea that, you know, I'm gonna grow my own thing, I'm gonna make my own thing and Well, and I think we have this like heart and passion for community as well mm. that you know, there's probably some franchise chain um, dog training things that could come into the area that, you know, oh, it's established across the country or whatnot. Um, but I think people are like, well, I know Christy and I, I see her mm -hmm. at the grocery store or I, you know, run into her at this community event or that. And so there's just this like loyalty of I know these people and I know the heart behind what this business is and does. And um, it, it's I think that is part of that aspect, too, that we're tough because we want to build businesses. But then we also want to support other people because we know how hard it is to build businesses. You know, and I hadn't ever thought about it that way, but I, I absolutely agree. I I've not encountered, you know, a, a, a large, diverse group of people all that 
just want to support each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when we started, our whole thing was trying to be community-based, starting a 4-H program, things like that. But then going back to that constantly, it's it's just always what works, but it also, also is what brings the most validation. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had a big meeting last night and, and I said to everybody in the room, I'm like, for me, the dog world is all about relationships. It's relationships with my clients. It's relationships with their pets, building their relationships. And if I wasn't having good relationships there, then I just wouldn't want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. So it's a good perspective. I hadn't really thought about it, but you're right. I think that personal aspect of it is. Well, and we're just such a, it's a growing community, but we're definitely still tight knit. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I think that's so, so in 2006, 2008, you, you start this business. I mean, we're a a bit down the road at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Um, How, you know, were there times where you thought, I don't know what I'm like, this might not make it. Oh, um, not might not make it. I definitely almost every day. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, absolutely. I, I'm a great dog trainer, great behavioralist. But when it comes to like managing employees, I just want to be everybody's friend. I am the worst disciplinarian and they will tell you that. Um, I just, and I overcommit. I'm, I'm sure that that's a entrepreneur thing. Um, so our trajectory, like there was not really anyone here doing it on a regular basis. We started, you know, even at the community center, working with the shelter and stuff. So growth was easy. Like we got big. Um, And in 21, I think it was, we were, we had 10 trainers working for us. We offered everything and we were it, but I was not seeing clients anymore. I was not training dogs anymore. I was just managing a business. I was unhappy. The trainers were unhappy because it was COVID. We didn't have as much clientele as we would like. And so I just finally sat down with everybody and I was just like, if anybody wants to go out on your own, you're relieved of non-competes. I will take you to the lawyers. I'll take you to insurance people, whatever you need, as much support as you want. You can start your own businesses and you can take your clients. I, I won't chase you for it. I'll give you their contact information wow, if they're okay yeah. with it. Um, which was that was, a hard decision as a business owner? I'm, I'm guessing that. Yeah, because I was so, in my head, I was building my retirement mm-hmm. by building this business bigger and bigger. That was my retirement. I was going to sell it and just live off that. But I've also come to realize that in this industry, the business is only as good as the individual, you know? And so... If I had sold it, I would have had to sell it to a chain. And there have been a couple franchises that have tried to move to Cookville. They just haven't been successful. Um, so I I either would have had to sell to a chain, which would totally sell out my employees, or nobody nobody would pay me what I thought it was worth, yeah. you know? And so just getting back to- Well, and I think that we can- you know, we can plan our whole lives for that retirement time. But if life is not great or or we're struggling in life until that retirement time, that's no way to live. Like counting down the days until until we retire and you're miserable because, but you're growing something and you're, you have this, you know, I I was just saying to somebody the other day, I want to travel now. I want to do things now because you have no idea what at 70 years old, I don't know if I want to try, be on a plane for 12 hours, you know, like that, that <laughs> might not sound so great. At, You're at absolutely right. Old, you I know? feel that so personally right now. I just got a, a camper thing um, because I just, I want to travel and I'm trying to look at other ways that I can keep doing what I'm doing through seminars or um, I, I got certified as a pet first aid instructor, things like that, just so that I can offer those things in other locations and have an excuse to go there. Well, and I think building the life around what, what your skills are, what you're good at and what, what helps your business grow. Um, but like adds value to your life as well is kind of the, the key to a successful entrepreneur for sure. Absolutely. We'll be right back. 
What's so important about shopping with locally owned businesses? When you shop local, your hard-earned dollars stay here in the community, helping to benefit your friends and neighbors, local schools, roads, and all aspects of community life. But what happens to my money if I spend it online or at a national chain store? In most cases, the profits go far away, out of state, corporate headquarters, or even overseas. It doesn't take any extra effort to shop local. Office Mart on South Jefferson and Cookville is your locally owned office furniture and supply store. For over 35 years, they've been proud to serve businesses in the Upper Cumberland with quality and value. You get real customer service, too. And unlike shopping online, you can actually see and try out the large inventory of office furniture in their showroom. And when it's delivered, it's not a box on your step. They're glad to install and set up everything. Office Mart. There's no other locally owned office store in the region. South Jefferson Avenue across from Hardee's. Shop local at Office Mart. Welcome back. I'm Tiffany Anton from the Biz Foundry, and I have Christy Facinto in yes, um, from Thunderhawk Canine, um, a, a thriving dog training business here in the Upper Cumberland. I mean, do you serve? Do you, would you say just Cookville or where you're? We definitely service all of the Upper Cumberland, and then we have pockets of clients. Like we have a pocket of clients in Virginia. I have a pocket of clients in Michigan that mm-hmm. is just from my core base that yeah. I still support virtually. Um, but the Upper Cumberland is is probably the best yeah. way to say it. So why would, you know, pets are your family. They're kind of part mm-hmm. of who you are. And um, I don't, I, um, although I might want to take my 13-year-old to a trainer. Um, I <laughs> don't, my 13-year-old daughter. Um, I don't, you know, you don't take your children to a trainer. So why, what's the value of having your home pet being, you know, taken and using some of your services? Being trained. I appreciate you asking that. I I think a lot of it comes down to communication and when when you are communicating with your child, although I think communicating with teenagers is probably a whole different level, um, you at least have the option of dialogue and it's it's back and forth. Mm-hmm. And so if there's going to be a disciplinary action, you guys can sit down and talk about why that's happening. You know, you can even decide ahead of time if you do this, this is what's going to occur. But we don't you can have, be honest and say, well, that hurt my feelings. Yeah. You know? And yeah. and in, in the animal world, we don't have that luxury first and foremost and then right now i think that we are for whatever reason we are looking at animals as um almost infant emphasize that's not even a word um infants (laughs) human infants when when they're not and so we interpret a lot of their behavior through the lens and the filter of how we would feel or how we would handle a situation and we don't see what the animal's trying to communicate at Mm, all yeah and so that's where i think a lot of issues come down at the end of the day for every person i know that has had a relationship issue whether it's between two best friends or married people when they sit down and analyze it, it's usually a, a communication error. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not receiving it. I love like the five love languages. That's mm-hmm. I love that. Um, do you, and, do you use the five love languages um, when it comes to? It's a good analogy in that you know between two people, one person might express love a certain way, and the other person might miss it completely because it's not how they're how they receive it normally. Mm -hmm. And if they haven't been shown what it means, they're never, ever going to see it. And I do think it's a good analogy with animals because I I was speaking with a client today that their dog um, every so often will go on its back and show its belly. Mm -hmm. And their interpretation is the classic interpretation. The dog wants a belly rub. Mm -hmm. But at its core, that behavior is a space-seeking behavior. That's a vulnerability. Like, dude, I'm not going to kill you, but please give me some space. Mm -hmm. Now, 
again, in some specific dogs through breeding and whatnot, it has become a request for belly rubs. But in feral populations and dogs that haven't been affected that way, it's very much like this is my last ditch effort to make sure you don't kill me. And these people have never done anything wrong to this dog. Mm -hmm. He's just nervous. But when then you go in there and you go to pet it and you're invading its space so personally, then the dogs will react aggressively because they have nowhere else to go. And so from a human perception, this is an animal asking for interaction and then getting aggressive when when interacted with. But from my perception, because I know what that actual behavior means, I got to help them interpret that. And so I think a lot of what a good trainer does is they break down everything into interpretations of things and helps the client see what the dog is thinking. And then also how to teach the dog how to do the things that make the client happy. Yeah. Because that's really, we just, our frick, our slogan is dogs you love to live with. I like having my dog everywhere. Yeah. That is acceptable as a pet. Um, and so I, I want my dog to be a joy for other people to be around as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like, I mean, I, I like dogs a lot and people always say you need a dog I don't want to take care of a dog I like other people's dogs but I don't love being jumped on Mm -hmm. I don't love you know barking or you know I don't love I don't love being licked in my face like you know (laughs) there's yeah you know it's like but I I'm I'm not a not dog I'm definitely a dog person but there's just I don't I don't want your dog's tongue in my mouth. No, <laughs> and, and I feel that way about uh, cats on the kitchen table. Yeah. Like, I love my cats, but man, they go in the litter box. I don't want them on my kitchen table. Yeah. And so, but we all have those boundaries of things that we are, we are comfortable with. And, you know, it always comes down to that, even that personal thing of, I, I have the right to X, Y, and Z, as long as it doesn't inhibit on your joy and your rights. Yeah. And, and I think that's very true with dogs. We have a, the phrases in the the dog world now is like dog mommy, dog parent, fur daughter, whatever. And a lot of trainers are like, that's a dog. Don't say that. Blah. And I'm just like, I don't care if you're a fur parent. Absolutely. Just don't be the parent of a three-year-old that Starbucks that runs around sticking its fingers in people's coffee and, you know, poking their pastries. Nobody wants to be around that child and you don't need to raise your dog to be that dog. If you're just joining us, we have Christy Facinto from Thunderhawk Canine. And I think that's so interesting because we we would correct our our children's behavior we would you know and (laughs) um and and you would correct their behavior and then you would try and teach them and and i'm very much in the parenting aspect of like okay this is a three-year-old but i need to be training this three-year-old so that when she's six 12 15 Mm -hmm. 20 that she understand like there's all a progression of things and so i think um often people may with their their pets oh well a puppy oh it's just a puppy and then well soon it's a three-year-old dog and it's like are you still treating it the way you did as a puppy or are you progressing you know and and putting your expectations out there and, and learning their behavior i think um you probably see this a lot that people don't think about learning the behavior of their mm-hmm. pets. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I love how you you set up that progression because it's almost unfair. You know, they are learning from our feedback. Mm-hmm. And so if you are letting a puppy climb all over you and jump up you and you're, oh, you're so cute and okay, I'll pick you up. And then six months later, it's a 50 pound animal and now you're mad at it. You trained that behavior. You rewarded it over and over again. Mm -hmm. And now you're saying it's not okay. All right, we got to fix it. But there are lots of ways to do it before just losing your mind 
and and giving unclear communication. And that's my biggest pet peeve is unclear communication. Well, and I think that it's it's, it's very similar to parenting is that you know, we have expectations out there and it's not easy to parent. It's not easy to train children up and, and you're, you know, signed up for probably a longer period than you are with Hopefully. with a, a pet. But, you know, it's still that you're you're probably looking at 10 to 15, 18 years with a, a, an animal. Mm-hmm. And so putting that work in on the front end is what's going to take you kind of to have that happy home with a pet that you really enjoy for the long absolutely haul. and the the one of my other big phrases that I love is if we can look at everything proactively and set them up to succeed in all of the environments and scenarios that we want them to be successful in down the road teach them to learn all the right things then we don't have to worry about miscommunication of the wrong things yeah we don't have to try to explain why you know getting into the garbage can was a bad idea three hours ago while you were gone at work yeah you can't have that conversation and the dog does not understand it Mm -hmm. so I love the you know well when I get home he acts very guilty he knows what he did and I'm like well when you got home and you saw the trash strewn everywhere everything about your body language changed and dogs are not vocal creatures by nature they are inherently masters at reading our body language so you walk in and you tense up and you're like oh right then your dog is like oh man it's that day they're in that mood but they don't associate it with what they did three hours ago yeah and you can't explain it well and do you think that people don't necessarily they won't come to you because they don't want to put the work in because they know it's going to be hard to to correct Um, I think that a lot of Folks just really do feel like they're very good at what they're doing and and they've had success. You know, each dog is an individual. Um, and so what worked for this one might not work. And if you have multiple kids, I'm sure you communicate <laughs> with them differently, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And so I, I think a lot of people wait maybe too long to get help. But I think that's kind of true in everything. For sure. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I am Tiffany Anton from the Biz Foundry and I'm Christy Facinto from Thunderhawk Canine Inn. And we've been talking about all the, the, I mean, I think it's just so fascinating. We can probably talk hours about, you know, communicating with your dogs and um, I love it. All that kind of stuff. So um, tell me about when you, when you came down here, you, you were building up a, a, a business of reputation for yourself in Michigan where you got certification and people knew who you were and what you were doing. And you come down to this community because your husband's here. Um, did you find it easy to kind of break in or how was that for you? It, it definitely was very different than what I was used to up there. I, I was, we were a referral practice for veterinarians. So I was kind of treated as a peer. And so when I came down here, I was like, there's nobody that has my skill sets, my certifications, you know, I'm going to be able to go to the veterinary clinics, make them aware of my presence. And they're just going to be so grateful and just give me their clients. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This um, is such oh, a resource. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I walked into each practice with my resume and a nice letter and, and, the reception was not nearly as, as grand as I was expecting. Um, I got a lot of, Oh honey, you talk way too fast. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. And you know, you're clearly not from around here. We don't trust you. And my favorite at the time was, um, Oh, you're, you're not a very big girl. So how are you going to handle those big dogs? hun? And it, it was humbling, which I'll be honest, I'm sure that I needed. I mean, I was very full of myself and, and probably full of my ego, but, at the same time, it, it also made me super determined. And Well, I think that when you have a, a different kind of concept, because I don't think it's that 
you know, you're not just running classes where it's sit, stay, you know, walk on a leash. You're really getting into like kind of the psychology of things. And so when you're teaching a different concept to a community, you have to kind of step back and you're not looking at like, okay, well, I just got to get clients. We have to, you have to teach people what you're doing yeah, and they, you have to build in that trust. And, um, we're, I feel like we're a tight knit community, but we're also like mm, a little leery about different things that we sure, don't necessarily sure. know. We hear about. that all the time. Like yeah. we are still the transplants. Yeah. Um, but after now 16 years of being here, I, I definitely feel like this is, you know, home. Do you think for you, so Christy at like 10 years old, did you, and you mentioned like firefighter, police mm-hmm. officer, even probably vets, like more male dominated fields. Um, were you always kind of the Tom girl kind of? Absolutely. I was my daddy's boy. Yeah. Yeah, I was my daddy's boy. Um, and, and we would joke about that growing up. I got my first, my personal first dog at 14. Um, I used to find them in our community and our community, they would go into an animal control for four days for the stray hold. And then they would go to the Detroit Humane Society and then they would go up for adoption or they would be euthanized. Um, and so in our community, they would just give me the dog back after the four day stray hold. And in every scenario I found homes for them, except this one honey. And so at 14, she became my dog. I got into a lot of protection sports stuff, which is very male dominated. Um, it's just always been even the police canine world. We, we did a lot of police canine training, a lot of protection sport training. So it's always been, you know, half of who I am, but it, it, just was viewed differently in different areas. And when I moved to middle Tennessee, it was, you know, I I would want to demo, demo, we call it demo, a police dog and people would knock on the door and I'd open it and be like, Oh, let me go get the dog. And they'd be like, where's your husband? You know, you, you, you can't handle those big dogs. And so part of it again was very motivating. Part of it put me into avoidance of some parts of the industry. I just didn't want to fight those uphill battles. Um, but the pet dog world you know, now is very much female dominated. So how did you, um, you know, when you started this business, you had a desire to be community focused and community based mm-hmm. and really partner with different organizations. And, and you continue to do that to this day. What was the thought process behind having that be part of the business? I think it's just because for me, again, dog training is, is 100% about relationships. And even when, we had, you know, a bunch of people working there. I tried to have the core philosophy be like how we treat each other is a direct reflection then on how we treat our clients and their pets. Mm-hmm. If we cannot treat each other well, then we cannot carry that over. And and that's the most important thing. So I know we were talking even before this, like that leading with compassion. It's always been what I wanted to do, but it also has been a very hard dichotomy for me because I just want us all to be friends. And so I want wanted my employees to want what I wanted and, and want to make me happy. One of the first things that we did though, as a company, uh, my husband had been a part of the foundation of bite free Putnam County, which doesn't, I think exist anymore. Um, and then I started a local 4-H group. Um, so I went to the extension office and they were wonderful. They were like, well, we've decided to do these, you know, trick contests at the fair and a little bit of costume stuff and see how that goes for a few years. And then if there's interest, then we can get into this other aspect of the 4-H dog project, which is actually really extensive. And so I'm like, well, I'm not really used to doing Tennessee time. So can we just start it all right now? (laughs) And they were like, you can start it. We'll show up. And so we did. And Mm. it was, it was 
some of the best years of my life was coaching the 40s. Do you think stuff. it was just like a passion project for you or do you think you strategically want it like, oh, this will help my business or this is just how I'm going to build my life the way I want it to That's look? That's a great question. Honestly, I think a lot of it had to do with, uh, I went to school for dog training after college um, and the, the man that owns that school, one of his core philosophies was the thing that you can give away is your time. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not very busy, and you don't have money to give away to market, give your time away. Mm-hmm. And then again, it goes back to that relationships. Like I don't even enjoy sports with my dogs unless I'm, enjoy, you know, like hanging out with my friends and it's it's that sociability aspect of it. So they both worked hand in hand, I'll be honest. I saw it as a way to grow the business. I saw it as something that I loved. I I judged a lot of 4-H up in Michigan and stuff. And so it was something I could bring down here. I could get kids excited. So I just saw it as a win-win, but it did end up kind of. It's a good marketing piece and a good marketing tool. So what do you, what have you been doing now? Community-based. Community-based. When the economy started to shift um, and we started to recognize that we started to see that there. You know, dog training is expensive. And I'll be honest right now, it's a trendy industry. Um, a lot of people are getting into it just because they, you know, watched a YouTube video and trained their one dog. Um, and there can be a lot of money in dog training. There's, we have coaches that tell us how to get as much money as possible. Mm-hmm. And I've never had to do that stuff. Um, and like I said, with this shift, a lot of people can't afford it. And that we saw in the community pages, they're like, I want to find the cheapest person. And that's yeah. not always the best way to find the best people. for everything. Yeah. yeah. And so we decided to start creating outreach clubs Um, we have a a therapy dog club and therapy dogs are dogs that help other people. They go into hospitals, they have reading to dog programs or in schools and dentist office and stuff. So we have a therapy dog club. We started a service dog club. Those are dogs that perform tasks for somebody with a diagnosed disability. We started a competitive obedience club. Um, we're starting back up Well, we're trying to form an AKC club. And then also through that, we're trying to get more youth involvement through the 4-H program again. Um, we coached a a 4-H camp dog camp um that we just donated our time to this past summer so we're just those are some specifics of of the directions we're trying to go where do you see thunderhawk canine going in the next five ten years from now hopefully staying afloat doing the same programs that we are doing because our core programs of the group classes like that's just the most affordable way for people to get very basic information but very structured basic information um the private training i just enjoy having those one-on-one clients but there's such a big need for it i can't fulfill it all myself so we refer to people we trust um and then our inboard program that's kind of our our staple like it allows us to directly communicate with the dog make sure there's great clarity for learning and then we just tell people how to use it so hopefully those things stay going well i personally would like to see the the virtual side um develop more just well and you said you have your rv and traveling around and whether it's speaking at different you know conferences or engagements uh, you know you personally can kind of grow yourself as a brand doing kind of things and i think that's kind of a direction i'm starting to move as well is um i got certified as an instructor for pet first aid and CPR. So now I can go certify people who want to know how to do it, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. So I can teach classes anywhere. Um, I'm just kind of trying to look at other things that I'm also interested in. I have been doing the same thing for 25 years. Um, and so a little 
diversity in that would be. Well, and just how can you spread, you know, you're one person. How can you spread your knowledge Mm -hmm. to a bigger base? And I definitely don't want to leave out. I have have two employees that work full time for me, um, Carmen and Emily. Emily has been with me five years I think now and she's a senior trainer with us Carmen was one of my 4-H kids and when she was 17 she was like Christy my parents said that when I graduate if I don't have a full-time job I'm gonna have to be work for them and they owned a grooming salon and she's like and I don't want to work for my parents full-time and so she started working for me before she graduated and she now actually owns her own business I'm I'm getting her to come to the powered by her stuff she owns a, a boarding kennel called inspired paws of cookville and so she's an up and coming businesswoman and she's only like 24. That's awesome. That's awesome. So where can people find more about Thunderhawk Canine? Thunderhawkcanine.com. So T-H-U-N-D-E-R-H-A-W-K. And then you can do K and the number nine or spell it out C-A-N-I-N-E. They okay. both go to the same places, okay. .com. Um, and all of our services are up there. And also our social media, specifically our Facebook page, that's where everything stays very, very up to date. We post our next club. We post our closings, things like that. So, And that's Thunderhawk K9 on Facebook as well? Yeah. If it's if you did Facebook.com slash Thunderhawk, and then that one is K and the number nine. K9. Okay. Um, anything else that you want, pet owners, just the general? pet owners that are maybe struggling and maybe they don't feel like they can afford your services what what you know quick great question i mean first and foremost you know always always understand that your animal is just working on instinct is working out there they're not malicious they're not out to get you they're not harboring judgment (laughs) well sometimes maybe um (laughs) and if you ever ever have any questions like we offer free 30-minute virtual consultations. And obviously, mm. I can say a lot in 30 minutes. So there is, <laughs> As like, you've seen by the last half hour. <laughs> yeah. So there is no reason. If you have a question, before you go to social media and get every different right and wrong answer, just call us up. Go on our Facebook page or go on our website. Schedule yourself a free 30 minutes. I will sit with you across the computer face-to-face and, and we'll put together the start of a solution and then we can talk about how to move through in the future. There's yeah. no cost for that and there's a lot of free options out there that I can point people to as well. Well, and just a first step that makes it maybe, you know, the frustration that you're having with a pet make it a little bit ease the tension. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming in today, Christy. Thank Pacinto you for having me. From Thunderhawk Canine.